This episode of Exponent is sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk makes software for better customer service. Its platform is designed to bring organizations and their customers closer together and is used by more than 60,000 organizations in 150 countries. Customer relationships are built on trust and communication. That requires making customer service a core part of product experiences, not an afterthought. Make your customer service seem like magic by building it directly into your apps, websites, and products with Zendesk Embeddables. Find out more by visiting Zendesk.com slash Embeddables. Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I am uh, I- I'm tired and a little stressed out, to be honest. Oh, no. I, uh, I, that, uh, I don't want to hear that. I've missed you so much. It feels like it's been forever. Uh, well, that's very sweet of you. Um, <laughs> it's like uh it's like one of those situations where um so if you're like procrastinating on something right or or especially if it's something relatively visible like you're know, a paper or i don't know something that that, that other people are going to see like mm. the more you put it off like the more pressure you feel that whatever you deliver has to be like super good mm. and so that which actually makes you more want to procrastinate <laughs> even more uh so that's kind of like how i feel um you know our 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 beloved fans and they are beloved um, have been very vocal in their uh, <laughs> insistence that exponent returns sooner rather than later, um, which is, I, I do have to say, I do have a bone to pick with people though. I kept being, when is exponent coming back? And I'm like, we or or is it? No, 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 that one's okay. It was the, is exponent finished? I'm like, well, guess what? You still have at least one more episode to listen to. Cause as we said in the last episode, we were just taking a break for the summer. Um, sorry. That's my break for the day. But uh, but no, so I feel all this pressure that we got like people have been waiting for this episode. So it has to be super spectacular. Yeah, I I hear you. I don't know. I just come to this every week looking forward to having a chat about something crazy. And I I um not meaning to paint you into a corner here, but it I don't know. I it felt kind of nice to me that people were like, oh, you're missing. Like you like it feels like there's some part of my life that's missing. It's like. Oh no, is- no, to be to be clear, it's it's a huge honor and and I think it's really great that people feel so strongly about it. I'm just saying uh because I'm neurotic and uh stressed out about this sort of stuff, like it just like it, it, there there is that sense of like the, the procrastination deadly spiral kicking in. <laughs> Even though I wasn't procrastinating, it felt very unfair. If I want if I want to procrastinate, I want to be actually I want, if I want to feel like I'm procrastinating, I want to be actually procrastinating. <laughs> so you you got uh you got the the negative uh, association of yes, feeling like you were procrastinating <laughs> with none of the benefit of actually procrastinating anything because this was a planned break. I know it was it was I, I felt very unfair. And oh, then well. and then and then uh oh man I've had the brutal case of jet lag this time um mm. so now i'm like double worried I'm like crap i'm tired I, like i'm not gonna be it's not gonna be interesting i'm gonna be like spaced out and it has to be really good oh man i'm just a, i'm just a bundle of i'm just a, i'm just a mess right now i guess i'll just have to carry you this week I, as, <laughs> as usual the James yeah that's Netflix, right so, exactly yeah. oh well uh, don't mind the spotlight on you that's yes just, just ignore all that light that's nothing so that, that was that was that was the longest ever how are you uh response ever but you know, as we say, we, we, we want to be very open and honest. And uh, th- there you get it. There's there's my openness and honesty all over the floor. It's it's good to have it back. <laughs> well, uh, we are actually uh, so we're recording a, a couple days early uh, because you are off to uh, uh, what is it called? Ice yeah. woman. Uh, burning man. I'm off to reprise. Uh, I'm off to reprise naked people. It's naked people part two. 
Uh, fortunately, we are not yet a video podcast, so... Um. <laughs> yeah, which is a good thing because if you could see my room right now, it looks like a bomb's gone off. There is stuff absolutely everywhere. I'm nowhere near as organized this time around as I was last time around. I think the first time when you go into this and you have no idea what to expect, you you like there are lists everywhere. Everything's packed weeks in advance. This time around, it's like, ah, eh, I'll do it the day before I go. I'm, I'm sure know, it'll be fine. It's going to be interesting to hear your response because I, I, I like to what degree, you know, and I actually um, uh, heard from several people that that was one of their all time favorite episodes was was your, your, the, when you told us about Burning Man. Um, but to what extent was that? because it was unexpected and unknown and you went in with a degree of skepticism versus this time, I would imagine there's a bit more anticipation and expectation. Like now, is it going to seem more disappointing because, you know, the expectations are different? Yeah, the expectations are definitely there. And it's interesting because the expectations are there. And as a result, the anticipation is not. In fact, I was kind of, I was talking about this with a friend and trying to explain, um, explain what it feels like. And it, I, the, the closest analogy I could come to is is sitting down to watch a movie. And I have this theory about movies that there are movies that are like really fulfilling when you've watched them. And, and there's also another axis. So like one axis is how fulfilling they are to watch. And the other axis is uh, how easy they are to sit down and watch. And I feel like Burning Man this time around for me has kind of become Schindler's List. It's really hard to sit down and bring myself to emotionally accept I'm going because it was it was such a um, it was such an all encompassing experience. But I also know that once I get out there, it's going to be really valuable. So, um, but it, we'll see. It's it's obviously going to be very different. Last year, I thought, ah, you know, give me a couple of days, I'll take some cool photos, and then I'll probably be ready to get out of there. This year, I'm I'm like, I wonder, I wonder what it's going to be like going out there knowing what it's kind of going to be like but i guess we'll see well then the question is will given that will it actually be like what you expect or will will it be will it be less or or more or something interesting to find out i'll know in i'll know in three or four days yeah there we go so uh that that was i believe potentially a sneak preview of our next episode but we'll, we'll see how it goes um so do you feel i am like so you're going for you're gonna be gone all next week um like are you worried about like like, what is it like being gone from work like that and not being connected or or anything? You know what? The the first time around, it was um, kind of nerve-wracking um, not having internet access, not having phone access. And it's, it's almost like a reflex response. You have a down moment. You pull out your phone. Uh, you message someone. You check Instagram. You check Twitter. You check Nuzzle. You check your email. Like there's no there's no moment where that's not there. There's no moment where you're not thinking about work. And it takes you a little while to be in an environment where that's completely taken away from you. And literally, an iPhone out there really only is useful as a camera. And it is actually a pretty cool camera. It's a small camera that you can carry around and whatever. And you can exchange contact details with people or write stuff down if something really valuable happens. But it takes a while to unplug and then it just feels so good. I mean, are you worried that uh, when you when you come back, like because you've been gone a week, you're going to be like placed on a performance improvement plan? or no. I, I'm... I am not worried about that. I am. I'm lucky that the place that I work culturally, um, 
one of the co-founders is European and they they encourage European style holidays. Like they give us lots of PTO. People are encouraged to like have a life outside of work. Um, And it's one of the many things that I love about working there. I am, on the other hand, like the extent of my anxiety extends to I'm really not looking forward to seeing what my inbox looks like when I get back, but I'm not worried that my job's in jeopardy. So that, in case it wasn't clear, that was a really terrible segue. Um, <laughs> my, my segue game is clearly fell off over the summer. Uh, yeah. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, apparently. Uh, uh, to to Amazon. I mean, we're, we're a couple of weeks late um, uh, to it at this point. I think the, the New York Times story came out uh, mid, mid-August. But I... I think it's something that worth going back and talking about because mm. I think there's, there's lots of interesting threads to pull um, threads to pull on this, um, you know, so just, just, just to, just to recount, I think most people have probably read the story, but the New York times had a long front page story. Um, and uh, which I think was almost interesting in its own right. Like it, it, if you saw the print version of the paper, it was a five wide, um, which means that five of the six columns, uh, you know, Big quotes on the top, including like the guy cried at my desk guy and, and a couple other ones um, on the wet. It had its own web presentation, like different than the regular template with like a GIF of like people going in and out. You say GIF or GIF? Mm. Uh, GIF. Oh, good. You say it correctly as well. Uh, I knew we I knew there's a reason we were friends. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to get email about that. Uh, oh, well, uh, people going in and out. Like, so th- th- it was a big deal. And I think the fact that it was a big deal um, and it was. And the anticipation on their side that of, of painting as a big deal was certainly echoed in the kind of the broad reaction uh, across Twitter, across Facebook, across people that we talked to, um, at least at least in my circles, uh, about Amazon and, and what it was like to work at at its headquarters. And it was a it was I think something that was challenging with the story was it was a collection of stuff. Uh, there was first off, you know, some really horrifying anecdotes about. Um, and this is where the, the kind of terrible segue comes from, like uh, women on maturity leave or people who are out with cancer or uh, a woman who had like a miscarriage, like being um, being having their career progress stunted or put on these performance improvement plans or losing their their responsibilities because they, they left for very legitimate reasons. Um, and actually, just today, there was a the medium article passed around uh, about mm. uh, someone who a book editor who had experienced exactly that. She's on maternity leave. And then she got cancer, and and in the meantime, her health benefits got cut off. And she's like, "I'm I'm on leave." They're like, "Oh, sorry, it was a mistake." But then she comes back, and like all her direct reports are gone. She's basically been managed out of the company, and uh, and that I think there's no equivocating is is unacceptable. It's terrible. It's awful. It's horrible. Like I cannot list enough adjectives to describe uh, the this sort of behavior. Hmm. I, I mean, I. <laughs> I, what can you I, say? I, right? Yeah, like uh, uh, no, no. Of <laughs> course, obviously, it's it's it, it it's it's inhuman almost. Yeah. So putting that aside, but only for a moment, because I think I think it is worth coming back to those anecdotes in a bit. Um, there was also there was also I think two other aspects. I think there was kind of three branches to this story. One were, were these were these really terrible anecdotes. Uh, number two was this culture of just working insane hours, being available all the time, feeling on vacation. You have to be checking your email. Um, that was kind of part two, kind of like the 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 hours and and pressure. And then part three was the crying at the desk, dude. Like this this culture where uh, your ideas 
will be torn to shreds and be challenged and whether they're 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 good or bad. And what I, I guess my frustration with the story is that these three were intertwined and treated as as kind of the same thing. And I think that was a mistake because I think there are three very distinct issues that have different connotations around them. And uh, and that combined with what I thought was a bit of snark in the story, like making fun of people for working hard to deliver frozen dolls or to deliver scotch tape. Like, I thought that was really unbecoming. But setting setting that aside, like, I, I think there was this kind of this 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 intertwining of what were actually three different issues. I yeah, I think that make I think that makes a lot of sense. I um it's a shame that all they had to go off was anecdotes, but then it's unsurprising. Like short of having short of having actual data, I I mean the stories are all you have to rely on. But they were at least the stories they picked. And and there's always going to be something of a selection bias in a story like this. Um the people who are happy are probably still there and probably aren't authorized to talk to the media, but um yeah, the stories didn't paint a very compelling picture. Well, I, I'm see, I'm not. That's why I think it's important to tease them apart. No, I agree. You know, so, so one setting aside the setting aside the 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 mistreatment of women in particular, um, which again is abhorrent, and we'll, we'll come back to that. I think let's go back. Let's go to the other two. One mm. is one is the uh, kind of working at all hours, having to always be on call. And the other one is this this culture of like. Uh, you know, you're not going to be coddled <laughs> in so many words. And I, I think it's important to tease them out because that last one, uh, uh, I'm not sure that's a, such a problem. Uh, is it such a bad thing that there is, uh, there is meant to be a culture of, of brutal honesty? Uh, is that, is that a bad thing? I don't think brutal honesty is a bad thing at all. Um, I think, I think it's important for organizations to, if they're going to be brutally honest, they should be brutally honest with employees at the outset when they're coming in. Um, I don't think such an environment like that is is right for everybody. But I think that um, for the right kind of person, uh, being in a brutally honest environment can actually... Um, it, it can challenge you in all the right ways. Um, no, I think that's exactly right. And by the way, to Amazon's credit, I think they're, they are very brutally honest from the get go. Um, it was kind of like the immediate joke that went around of several of my friends that worked at Amazon was that they would be happy about this story. Cause it just saved their HR department, the trouble of weeding out a bunch of people, um, which, but I mean, it sounds callous, but I swear to God, the first several posts on Facebook I saw from my friends who worked at Amazon was, yeah, this is about what it's like. Like, which I mean, is, is, is kind of amazing when you think about it. I, I mean, it is, but if that's the kind of environment, there are certain personality types that thrive in that kind of environment and they're people that thrive on the primacy of ideas. And uh, you need to be absolutely willing to to park your ego at the door. Um, you need to have relatively thick skin or, um, because it, it can hurt to like put yourself out there and then have someone else come along and, okay, it's a better idea. We should go with that. But I mean, I've I've been in environments like that before and the one, I mean, and to a certain extent, um, not to toot our own horn, I feel like that's kind of the rapport that you and I have built. It's like, okay, um, I'm going to put myself out there, but if you say something, it, it's, 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 it's a mark of um, 
it's it's a mark of a good debate. It's a it's it's necessary to get to a good place to be willing to acknowledge that when someone else has a better idea than your own, that they have it and to accept it. And okay, let's build off that as opposed to anchoring on something that's not as good just because you were the one that came up with it. Uh, exponent, the Amazon podcast. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I think I think th- I think that's exactly right. Now, that's why I think it's important to tease this apart because, to my mind, that brutal honesty aspect uh, that makes me that 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 I like that that makes me want to work there. And frankly, I thought it was um, I I thought it was it, it was striking that you know Bezos has been very clear he doesn't want to become Microsoft. Well, the thing with Microsoft is Microsoft back in the day, like in the 90s, was notorious for the way in which Bill Gates especially, but all the way on down, would just tear apart everything. Mm-hmm. And like it was a brutal place to work by all accounts. And and not just from the hour standpoint, which we'll get to in a moment, but also from the like the day-to-day interaction standpoint. And what's funny is to me, that was that's what was missing from Microsoft when I was there. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I was, you know, I, I didn't get promoted. My, my, I mean, most people don't get promoted the first year, but I was, you know, I'm an ambitious fellow. I thought I could pull it <laughs> off. And I was told, well, your what is fantastic, but your how is needs a lot of needs improvement. And like you, 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 you offer like you make people uncomfortable or you, you offer your, your, your you critique too easily or, or something like basically saying that I was being too brutally honest. And the problem is you hear these stories about Microsoft politics and all that sort of stuff that like the, the feedback, the, 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 the way people think about each other because we're human doesn't go away. It's not like if you're nice, we're just nice. It all goes under the surface and all, and all get, that's where all the backbiting and all the back channels and all the politics stuff comes from. Um, because it, what used to be on top of the table is now, is now been shoved aside and and boy, I mean, <laughs> that environment at Amazon sounds pretty darn refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a middle ground where it's it's not necessarily about politics, but people are much less willing to speak up or if they don't feel that the best idea is on the table. And oftentimes it's not just a clear-cut thing. It's just a sense of disease that it doesn't quite feel right. And there are some environments where... Um, uh, to, to characterize generously the other environments, like there are some environments where people are, are really concerned about um, the emotional well-being of everyone around them. And if they see someone super passionate about an idea, even if they think it's wrong, they might bite down on their tongue because the priority isn't to get the best idea there. The priority is like, actually, like I want to, uh, like I, I don't want to upset or offend this person. Now, obviously, that comes with downsides, but I also wonder whether it might come with upsides as well. So if you think about organizations having people, I mean, I like I came from a consulting background and they love the Myers-Briggs type thing. And you think about people on the thinking versus feeling spectrum. Um, I, I think this type of environment lends itself very well to thinkers, but it doesn't lend itself very well to feelers. And in a certain sense, actually may result in less diversity of thought because people who um, people who can't be so rational um, aren't as comfortable being there. And I actually wonder, we've talked a lot in the podcast about how strengths are simultaneously weaknesses. I wonder whether part of all these stories about people 
feeling like they that like the the culture is so crushing this is the this is the the associated weakness with the strength yeah they're brutally honest about ideas but that brutality can sometimes extend into being uh, 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 feel like a cold clinical culture that's that that's fascinating when you, i mean when you started when you started saying oh like the priority is not is not necessarily the the idea you know i was ready to to jump all jump all over that right to be like well if if it's not the idea then like what's the point you know and, and but what if yeah i mean you, you threw me for a loop there like what if you are actually in the long run missing out on something missing out on something meaningful i i guess the the only pushback i would have um and, and it's an anecdotal pushback to be sure but i think obviously a very compelling one is is the mm-hmm. apple one i mean I, I wrote about this in the update but you know w- w- you know w- when we were interns we got a chance to hear the various executives speak and mm-hmm. we were different we were different years but um i, I it's always stood out in my mind johnny i've told the story which he later recounted the new yorker all the details were, were a little different between the two um where as i recall uh they were it was after a meeting and, and I've kind of confided in Steve Jobs that, you know, he was disappointed or he didn't think that the what was presented wasn't that strong. And Jobs like, well, why didn't you say something? And I was like, well, you know, he was very he worked very hard on it. Blah, blah, blah. And Jobs is like, you're he's like, you suck. And I was like, what is like you? You don't care about him. You don't care about the idea. You care about him not being not. You care about him liking you. Mm. And and I've. D- discuss how that just fundamentally changed his outlook and that to to not criticize was to sell the person short the idea short and the company and the product short yeah I, 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 which is which, it, but on the flip side like apple's strength uh, uh, on the other hand is that they do seem to do a better job of tapping into this more sort of you know the whole like liberal arts and technology like the more kind of like fuzzy aspect of a product so how how can they met balance that with a sort of brutal culture? And I experienced this personally. Like I, I had an uh, an idea torn apart. I mean, like maybe you're maybe they do just strike a better balance, and Amazon's more in the extreme. I, I haven't worked there. It, it's funny. It's 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 fascinating though. Yeah, it, it is. I I I do think that perhaps they've found some way of striking a better balance. Um, I'm not sure. It's. I guess I'm speaking from a place where I've had to. Um, I've had to learn how to moderate this behavior. So, um, I, I, coming from a place like business school, and then working in an environment. Uh, uh, I, Professor Christensen's a fantastic human being, but when it comes to talking about ideas, he pulls no punches. And and uh, that was the same with the third co-author I worked with, Karen Dillon, on the book that I worked at before I came to my current company. And there are junior people at this company who are straight out of school, who are very talented, very gifted at what they do. But I have had to learn how to modulate the intensity with which I will just focus on the ideas. And if I because I was, I was like making people upset and they will leave. They like, I risked making people leave. And that was eye opening for me because these were people who clearly bring something incredibly valuable to the organization that I work at. But I was, I was making them so uncomfortable in the way that I was approaching, discussing um, what I thought were important things. And I was just like so focused on the ideas and like the primacy of the ideas that I actually risked taking voices out of the conversation. 
Oh, we certainly experienced that. I mean, like we, mm-hmm. as we've we've hinted and joked at. I mean, the 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 level of kind of feedback, shall we say, to you know our notorious watch episode um, was <laughs> was 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 pretty overwhelming, and um, and I, I yeah, I mean, uh, to some respect, and I guess th- there was a lesson there that we had to learn was it even there. Even though we were at, we had the sort of relationship where we felt, you know, we were fine. And people, as we've talked about, people didn't hear us, you know, joking and laughing immediately after that episode. But, but we compromised our ability to communicate and to, and to, 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 to put forward a persuasive argument because the tone and around it was mm. such, was such a turnoff. And, yeah, you're right. Every there, everything is a trade off. Like not even brutal honesty has a trade off, and yeah. and that's that's maybe that's maybe something that I I think I got away from in thinking about this right now. Like I I, I was ready to come in and argue that brutal honesty is is always the best thing, but um, I guess you you put forward a complaint why maybe it's not. I'm still you know ten towards the brutal honesty part. But. <laughs> I'd expect nothing less. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I feel like it was something I learned early on in consulting as well. It was I I and I've had to relearn the lesson because I'll naturally tend to forget it. But um, I, I someone basically as a result of one of my appraisals sat me down and handed me a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People, and they <laughs> basically said that you need to read this book. And the reason you need to read this book because being right is only ever half of being right. You can yep. be right, and if you clobber people over their head with it, they're not going to be interested in hearing you. You've got to be right in a way that brings them along on the journey. Yeah, no, that, that yeah. Well, it's 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 not just that they need to feel good. Like it's this is, and I think that's where it's easy to get hung up on. It's not just about their feelings. It's it's a very pragmatic sort of um, evaluation of where they're at, like. You know, I, I had a manager just talk with me about this. Uh, you know, we've, I think we've gotten similar feedback through the years. You know, like he's like, oh, well, you 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 think very quickly and like you'll you'll think about an idea and you'll immediately jump to H. But the problem mm. is other, other people are on A and you can't lead them from A to H. You need to you need to go to B first and then C. And and there's an aspect of and to do that you need to be empathetic you need to appreciate where they are and where they're coming from and where they're where they're coming from is in just an intellectual place it's also an emotional place and and that is something that that is probably easy to easy to lose sight of and what i thought what i thought that was the most compelling point you made is is the fact that yes if if you discount that consistently you'll weed out the people that can't handle it but what at what cost where are you losing and what sort of monoculture is resulting from that and that's where i think we get to these anecdotes like mm-hmm. the the reason why i think the anecdotes do matter even though i believe jeff bezos and i believe the various people at amazon that say they've never, they've never heard of this they've heard of people women on maternity being treated well etc is that if you are pushing so hard and pushing right up to the line i find it much more uh, unbelievable to think that you don't step over than to think mm. that that you do. And and I think your point about the monoculture that can result is actually an even more compelling way to suggest that there's, yes, they may be anecdotes, but 
they the, the, there may be a red flag that is that speaks to something deeper that's that's a problem yeah and i mean uh, you you made you you did a really good job of teasing apart the new york times article at the start into three things and i guess one of the funny things i've observed is that the organizations that um so so you talked about the anecdotes about the mistreatment which we both agree was horrible but you also talked about the working insane hours and and the brutal honesty of the ideas and the funny thing that i've observed is it's actually quite common for number 2 and number 3 to go alongside with one each other and it it can become hard to tease it apart when i when i read that amazon article and the brutal honesty of ideas the the place my mind went to is actually um bridgewater which is the famous hedge fund that was fa- founded by ray dalio which is yep. famous yeah, absolutely the- there's a great New York article put in the links. I actually read, went back and read that after reading the Amazon article for the exact same reason. It's just famous for its culture of absolute brutality. Um, and and brut- for its fantastic honesty. results for a very long yeah, time. Absolutely. Um, I've, um, and I mean, I, I, it's this strength weakness thing. Like I respect what they've done and I respect. Um, so Dalio's even put down his principles in a manifesto, yeah, so just, just to back up, so Bridgewater, for people who aren't familiar, Bridgewater mm-hmm. is is kind of a long-running hedge fund that that um I, I I should look it up over the last couple of years, but for basically for like 15 some years or whatever, like outperformed the market and all other hedge funds like significantly, like year over year over year. Mm-hmm. They called the 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 2000 financial crisis and profited through it. And and the it, it's in it, what's interesting about it is it's it's like this cult type environment, mm. right? Like it's it's kind of notorious for you go in there and they try to hire like college students, for example, and bring them up in the culture. And and part of that culture is just like brutal, brutal honesty. And like everything you say will get torn apart. And there's this anecdote in there where where Dalio calls on calls on an associate. He's like, well, I I give it a guesstimate of. He's like, we don't do guesstimates. And he's like, I've talked. And he says like, I've talked to you about this. And like he's still going over his like personal feedback in front of the entire firm. Like it's 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 pretty intense. But there's the results and yeah. So yeah, that's Bridgewater. I'll let you continue. Yeah, I I mean, I I uh, I, I guess the interesting thing to, that that Bridgewater in Dalio's principles. So he's written these principles and they're definitely also worth a read. But one of the things that I thought that he wrote that was so insightful that speaks to the other side of this, that's more, that's more your side of the argument coming in is that um, everyone has this natural inclination um, against pain. They see pain, they think pain is bad, but his point is that everything good in life is, Everything good in life comes through pain. The trick is just being able to distinguish good pain from bad pain. And um, I, I read your daily update when um, your daily update when uh, this whole Amazon thing broke, and you talked about how you went through the you you put this what you thought was a really good idea up while you were at Apple, and it got torn apart. And you went back to your desk, and you were like clearly upset. But it pushed you, and it pushed you to the point where um, uh, you you were then able to go away, realize it actually wasn't good enough, and come up with an, a much better insight that was able to communicate the point much better. And that's also been my experience in working in a lot of these brutally honest environments is that, um, for me at least, and it sounds like for you as well, 
this is a good kind of pain. This is the kind of pain that pushes us to be, um, I, I don't know if I go so far as better people, given my my earlier comment about how I was upsetting team members without realizing it, but it certainly pushes us to be better thinkers, to be able to come at ideas and attack them and get to the best idea so much faster than we otherwise would have. So in yeah, the same way, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Well, this is, this is the tension, right? And this is the fun, this is, and this was above all my biggest frustration with the article and a lot of the debate around it is, is exactly this point at the end of the day. Uh, Amazon is, from a strictly, we even said a moral sense, but from a, 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 a an output sense, a phenomenal company. They're one of the three, three or four most important companies in the world. Mm. They are fundamentally remaking, remaking not just not just retail and e-commerce, but all aspects of business. Well, mm. at the at at a meetup in in at, at a meetup in Chicago, and was talking to a member who works in construction. And they retrofit old offices. And do you know what by far the biggest thing they do is? What? Repurpose old server rooms. Oh, wow. And like, because <laughs> there's, there's all this air conditioning and all this infrastructure around these rooms that, that they have to like tear it all, all apart and, and figure out what to do with it. And like that because is- Because of AWS, right? Because of AWS. Wow. And, and like, there's no- I mean, we can we can quibble or go on about Amazon's financial results and what where they are. And I've gone back and forth on this. I'm back on being kind of an Amazon bull. But like, there's no question that the company is having a profound impact on the world. And and that raises, I think, what is the most uncomfortable question about this entire thing is to what extent, if at all, can you divorce this sort of brutality from the impact? And again, we were both at Apple. Like Apple is a brutal place to work. You know, I was at Microsoft and like their their people decried the fact that it became easier to work and associated that with the company losing its way. Like it like is this mythology? Is this, you know, sort of like the American workaholism run amok? You can't you can't at the the, the results though kind of speak for themselves. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to, you're, you're making me think of something that I've read recently that I'm sure I'm going to have difficulty pulling up. But there was a study done that, that basically looked at workers that, um, uh, that worked long hours, workers that didn't work long hours, but kind of pretended like they did, like they made the impression that they did, and workers that didn't work long hours, but didn't put up the facade. And again, I don't know exactly the environment in which they were, the researchers were testing this, I'd have to dig into it. But the outcome of the research was that the workers that pretended to work long hours, even though they didn't, ended up performing equally well to the workers that worked long hours. And I, I mean, I guess, I guess um, this is begging the question for me, and I'm realizing it just as I speak about it, is the brutality you're talking about, the hours, the length of work, the intensity of work, the, the checking phone while on vacation, or is it the, the primacy of the ideas and the brutal honesty? Like is, which, which do you, or are you talking about both? I don't, I don't know. And you're going to get emails about using beg the, beg the question incorrectly. Um, oh. <laughs> I know because I, I will, I, I will now. I did, I did it in a post and I, I, I was, uh, what was, what okay. was terrible is I, I did it in a post and then, uh, John Gruber, bless his heart, um, linked to the post, but the quote of that part 
And so I fixed it on my site right away when someone noted it, but then it wow. went forever to sign. I got lots of emails. Um, sorry, uh, that, was, uh, that was an aside. Uh, I don't know. That, well, I appreciate that, your brutal honesty. Well, well here's the, I, I guess the, it's how many places are there that, that are brutal, brutally honest, that are high performer, that have the results to show for it and don't have this sort of kind of insane work ethic. It's a really good question. It's a really good question. I mean, I've, I, so I, I feel like I worked, well, I don't even know that's true. Like I'm thinking back to my own personal experience working on the book and there were some, there was lots of flexibility, but there was lots of hard work as well. And I guess that's, that's something different. Whereas like, okay, if you decide you want to go for a swim at 6 PM, but you then come back and keep working afterwards, is that insane hours? The flexibility kind of diminishes that a bit from the, the feeling, the investment banker feeling of like, you have to be at the office 24 hours a day, even though you spend 12 hours a day, just like sitting on your on your seat, twiddling your thumbs. It's a really interesting question looking for the boundary cases, trying to see if we can tease this apart. And there aren't many places that come to mind. I've, I've heard anecdotes of, of people saying they've worked in environments where um, their, their boss says, you have 10 hours in the office and I only want you to have 10 hours in the office because it's actually going to force you to prioritize on, um, on working on what matters most. But I, I can't think of any big companies that are super successful off the top of my head anyway that are like that. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll get some responses. But I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, just just to um, not to make it all about me, but, you know, I, I talked about at the beginning that, you know, I'm very anxious about about this podcast, about this episode, mm. because I, I want it. I want it to be great. And, you know, I'm anxious about my site. Like I, I'm taking a week off this week as we're recording this. And like it's it. I feel I feel really guilty. I feel bad. I'm worried. Like, are people going to like quit? Like, like, and, and, and I mentioned this to people, like, are people will tell me like, you're insane. Like you're way overthinking it. Like, of course we want you to have a break, you know, or like, you know, so glad you're taking a couple days off. And it's like, like, yeah, like there's a part of me that knows that that thinking like that is silly and ridiculous and, you know, is going to lead to like a nervous breakdown or something. On the other hand, to what extent does that paranoia, mm. how much of that is the flip side of whatever it was that let me launch off yeah. of my own in the first place? Yeah, it got you here. I, it's, um, it was first described to me in my first job out of college as insecure overachiever syndrome. And I must confess, I've encountered quite a few people that bear the symptoms <laughs> in, in my days. Well, what's, uh, what's funny is it's the insecure overachievers too that that arguably have the hardest time with that sort of harsh criticism. And that's kind of the rub, right? Because they, they value themselves through the work and, and what they do and to what extent that they, they achieve. And then you go in and the work gets torn apart and, and it, it feels like the person is torn apart. And that's how you end up crying at your desk, right? But at the same time, that's also why, it's also why you stay and why you, you, you say like, oh yeah, I hate the day to day, but I love my job, which, which like a lot of Amazon people will say, which, which sounds insane, but it's maybe it's, maybe it's not, and I don't know. That's that's the pain that gets them to be effective, though. You come out of of college thinking you know everything, and you get you get torn apart and built back up, and eventually you get to a point having gone through that, or hopefully you get to a point having gone through that where you actually do start to deliver some fantastic things 
And then you start to get some self-esteem and then you become much, you're, you're able to, um, you're able to detach from the criticism. You're actually able to see that the criticism is not, um, is not directed at you personally. It's actually people, I mean, it may be the ideas or even in instances where I've got personal feedback. When I started out, I was terrible at this. I would try and turn it around in people's faces. And after a while, you begin to realize how foolish that is, that there are people there trying to help you and you should accept the feedback and you should uh, thank them for it. And, and if it like make an assessment on your own as to whether it's valuable, but if it is, work on it because they're not there to try and put you down. They're there to try and help you. But on the flip side, maybe you get promoted and you never did get over the insecurity and now you're like this terrible boss that feels empowered. I'm not I'm not putting you down to make myself feel better. I'm being brutally honest for the good of the company. And like and 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 then you've and but you're not. You're actually feeding your own insecurities from a position of power. And and then you get you get abuses, you get people going across the line, and you get arguably some of these anecdotes that that we've that we've talked about. And yeah. I, maybe, and I guess almost the takeaway that I, that, that, I, that I feel like comes from this conversation is I, I, I was very careful at the beginning. I said, I feel like there's actually three stories here that are three mm. different distinct threads, but maybe the takeaway is maybe there really is one story and maybe as presented, it was mashed together but maybe there is some sort of tapestry going on here where these things actually do tie together and which which I think adds that much more weight to the question of is it worth it because if it actually is the case that brutal honesty goes hand in hand with these insane work hours and this insane pressure which goes hand in hand with crossing the line and doing bad things to your employees is it worth it that's a very personal question. And I think it actually, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a personal question for an individual um, going in there to work there. And it's also, a, it's also a question, I mean, a broader question that society needs to answer as to whether they want people in those environments at all. I mean, as to the personal question, I, I think it really depends. It depends on uh, who you are, what you value, and, and even stage of life, like at, at, at various points, my answer to those, I mean, my answer to the first question, I mean, it's easy to say this, but I feel like my answer to the first questions never changed. The first question the, being? The, the like, do, do you fire someone or performance in performance plan out oh, someone right, right. who's on maternity leave? Like, that's that's never okay. Like, in, in no place, time, or but, but planet. If, but if there. you knew, but if it is the case that you can't cut that part off without cutting apart the other ones. Well, and like, like and, 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 yeah, no, and like that's that's I think the 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 for the people who are inclined to defend Amazon, and I would mm. I would probably put myself mm. in that camp, and, and, and particularly at the beginning because I was focused on this kind of like brutally honest part, and I tend to think that people, you know, I, I agree, hard things require hard work and 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 pain, like like if if stuff was easy, it wouldn't be valuable. Right. And so what, what 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 lends something its value is the cost that it took to get that thing. And when it comes to ideas and concepts and like and bringing to a company of the scale and degree of Amazon to to be like that is incredibly difficult. 
And I think it's so rich for all these people to go off on Twitter saying Amazon's evil, all this sort of stuff. When they turn around and order Amazon, they've got Amazon Prime memberships and they're ordering from Amazon. It's not just that; day. it's that they're all they're all benefiting from Amazon. Yeah, that that, right. that person going off on Twitter about how terrible Amazon is, I guarantee, has double digit, probably more apps on their phone that they're 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 depositing their Netflix stream, which is running from Amazon AWS to complain about Amazon via their app that uses an Amazon back end on their phone in a case that they order from Amazon. What, you know, like the reality is the company to uh, particularly through AWS pervades our lives in a very deep and profound way. And, and here's the bigger societal question. You say, as a society, do we tolerate this as a society? Can we afford to not tolerate it? If, if it's the case that that it is companies like Amazon or Apple with these environments that are that are pushing the the boundary in all respects of the word, not just from the workplace, but also from like the standard of living, like we, how does GDP go up? It goes up through increased productivity. Where does increased productivity come from? It's not you don't pick it off of trees. Now you've paused me. It's like so much easier when you can cherry pick the questions. But uh, I mean, this is reminding me of the conversation we had way back when around about China, right? Like everyone complaining about, I can't even remember what the context was now, but everyone complaining about Chinese work conditions and so on and so forth. And yet they're benefiting so much from it. Well, not just that, and, not just that, but the people, like the people in the people in those factories, are there by choice because right. their previous environment was even worse. And actually, right. it's a, it's funny. This is this is a deeper kind of the, the work life balance question that I've really, I think I've gotten a much more nuanced view on. I mean, I used to be very kind of like I'm going to be a great father, and all these people, all, you know, especially in business school, you see these people who have kids that are go take a job at McKinsey or whatever, and it's like. Man, yeah, I would like be judging them. Like, I'm not applying for a consulting job. I have a family and kids. Look at your terrible father. And, but and like, but then again, like, um, you know, in China, these people in the factories, they leave their homes, they leave their children with their parents. They go and they work. They go back like once a year during Chinese New Year, like the greatest hum- the greatest migration in like mm. a- annual migration anywhere. It's, um, and. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think your point's well made, and I think I think I, I like in in br- in bringing up this analogy, I've answered the question, and the uh, the answer is yes, because people have a choice that no one's forcing them to go and work there. And I mean, it, it does gladden me to hear that Bezos reacted strongly to reading that email, and that he's at least making something of an effort to cut down on uh, this the the. The, the brutality uh, in terms of the way they treated people who were sick or pregnant or whatever. But even, even if that wasn't there, I think the answer is yes, we should allow that to happen because people go in there and they make the choice. And if they don't like it, it's not like Amazon's the only place on the planet that they can get a job. If they can, particularly at the upper echelons of Amazon, if they're working a white collar job there, if they don't like it, if they're not getting something from it, if they feel the company's not treating them well, they can leave and I'm sure they'll be able to get another job somewhere else. Where I have more of a struggle with is some of the way that they've treated the factory workers because the people who work in the big um, uh, supply depots or whatever, because they have less of a choice. Hey, I wanted to say, bring up that point because I think I've been a little more little, little more forceful. I wanted to show a little heart before you did. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, well, I, I, just to step back, I... I 
I think there's a few questions here. So one, I agree. I mean, the reality is the people in this New York Times article are all making at like six figures at a minimum for the most part, especially if you include their stock compensation. Mm-hmm. And and they yes, they can get they can get another job, you know, very easily. And and I react strongly to this sort of paternalistic attitude that like it's up like that seem to be all over Twitter. Like with these, like these are adults, very highly educated adults who are making their own decisions in life. And like, and it seems like we're being a wee bit judgmental and living people's other lives for them. Um, yes. But then again, yes, the where, whereas the warehouse workers, uh, you know, they, you, you don't work at an Amazon warehouse because you want to change the world. You work at the Amazon warehouse because you don't have anywhere else to go. And, th- and that's, yeah, that's where it becomes a bit trickier. Yeah, well, what, what's interesting, though, is why, as I recall, and again, this might be kind of like the, the, the it's, it's been several years, but it sure seems to me that there is a lot more outrage and a lot more angst about this story than there was about the Amazon warehouse abuse stories a few years ago. Well, nothing, nothing gets people quite so outraged as when they see themselves in a portrayed victim. And I, I don't know, it, like we probably have a bit of selection bias in terms of the people who read and comment on the New York Times or the people who we see on Twitter. And I, like, this is my criticism of Silicon Valley in general. It's this bubble where people solve each other's problems, right? Like it's dating apps. Twitter was founded because some guy was sitting in his car and he was lonely or whatever. It, it's, it's this, I think it, it has the same the same root cause here, which is it's easier for people to see themselves in the people who we're hearing, the selection, the the sample we have, it's easier for those people to see themselves in these white collar workers that are being portrayed as victims by Amazon in the New York Times than it is for them to see themselves in in the blue collar workers that are working in the factories. Yeah, warehouses. Um, yeah, sorry. No, I said I said factories as well. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the kind of empathy angle is part. Uh, another angle that Ezra Klein wrote about um, is is that this taps into perhaps an angst, particularly among middle class white collar workers, that um, maybe like maybe you can't have it all. You know, like may, maybe to be successful, to be financially well off, requires not being a family man, you know, being on call. Yeah, I, 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 there's probably some truth to that. I mean, I, I think it just depends what you mean by well off I, I, and, and the balance of trade-offs. But yeah, I think that's probably fair. I, I think, again, one of the themes that we've talked about a bunch of times is is this notion that there's there's a bit of a divergence, like whether it's in, whether it's looking at content or whether it's looking at incomes, the effect of the internet and all these trends that we talk about so often is that the middle's getting squeezed. And it 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 probably means that if if you're willing to trade off having a six-figure salary, yeah, you can probably spend a lot more time with your kids. But I actually think it's getting harder and harder to get those well-paying well well-paid jobs where you get home and you see your kids and you tuck them in every night. Like I, I think those they're becoming rarer and rarer. And I, I that is part of the american dream i guess right yeah i mean the the other thing that angle that's interesting is um 
to what extent, uh, and I'm not it's hard, I'm sure to put this exactly, but does mm. this kind of signify, and I talked about the, like the importance the New York Times placed on this article, and also kind of like the attitude that they brought to it, and that I've, I kind of felt a lot of journalists approached it with on Twitter, which is um, this, this aspect <laughs> of... I want want to characterize it as you're going to have to censor me here, but these fucking disruptors who are killing. Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 oh, you, you tech guys think you're so great. Like you're, I knew it. I knew it. You're terrible people. And like this validation of like, you know, uh, how, how how do you put it? Like, there's no greater sense. There's no, there's no greater sense of self-righteousness and the self-righteousness that comes from a decision that you regretted being validated. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like you know man i could have worked in the technology industry but i chose to be a journalist and i like, changed the world and fuck, look at all these guys making all this money and i'm you know i'm you know my my newspaper is struggling i'm gonna go to business like, oh, oh, oh i knew i was right not to work there it's a terrible yeah. place you guys are barbarians and we're gonna bring the in like they're evil like it was amazing yeah. like, it, like the 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 degree of binariness and the extremity of language that was used to describe this article in Amazon, again, particularly by journalists was jarring. I mean, it was, it was, it was something else. Yeah. They rocked up with the, the pitchforks and the, <laughs> I the moral, in, moral indignation was, it was definitely all present. I don't Absolutely. know. I mean, like, but at the same time, I think ultimately, you know, that was my initial reaction. Ultimately though, I, I think this is a healthy thing. Um, and the reason it's a healthy thing is, you know, we, I, I've spent the summer going on like my, you know, this sort of I aggregation theory sort of idea, which builds mm. a, a lot of stuff we've talked about, but this idea that there are a few companies that are aggregating a tremendous amount of power and influence by virtue of kind of monopolizing consumer preferences and on the back end modularizing every, all this, all the inputs. You're and, giving away the punchline. We've got to talk about this another time. Yeah, we do. We and I do think I, I like I I would love to dive into it more with you. But mm. the 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 what's key there is is where is the point of leverage? The point of leverage is consumer preference. And and what's and what's the what's going to be the counterweight to this? Because government isn't is less of a counterweight when you're dealing with people's preferences, especially in a democracy. And we saw it happen in New York with with Uber. Um, mm. And I think that's where the media arguably is actually going to be more important than ever because what it, what is the media's big weapon? Like what is the thing that all these journalists have that that makes them powerful? Attention. Attention. Like and, th- and that that is like that's what all these advantages are predicated on and arguably the only rival and and Part of the the wrenching change that media is going through is they used to have a monopoly on attention and they no longer do, but that doesn't mean they don't have attention at all. And and that is kind of like I, I suspect this is going to be the beginning of a much more antagonistic relationship between the media and technology. Mm-hmm. And I think technology should be ready for it. But I also think from a societal perspective, it's probably a good thing. They they historically well in in a lot of Commonwealth countries they refer to the media as the fourth estate. Um, uh, you have you have the legislature, the executive, the judiciary, the first three, and then the fourth is the press, keeping them all in check. It's interesting to think that with the rise of technology and the increasing importance of business, that some of that attention in terms of keeping keeping 
something powerful in check is not just going to be directed at governments, but it's going to be directed at some of these organizations that are as powerful, if not more powerful than governments. More. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we, we, I do hope we get a chance to, uh, to dive into that stuff more. Although it's funny, there's definitely a bifurcation in preference. Like some people love like theory type stuff, but definitely mm. some people just can't stand it. Like they, they like the, the, the more like substantive, well, not substantive. Um, what's Whoa. the word? The theory is definitely no. This is very similar. It's it's um the more tangible yeah. sorts of things, right? Um, which 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 is interesting. But um, well, I think well, that try and give people a balance, right? Exactly. Um, well, I, I'm not going to go. Uh, I, I'm not going to. Uh, I think I hope we did okay for our first time back. I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm a little less nervous than I was when we started. Deserve it of that mention in this month's Wired magazine. I hope we didn't piss off the press too much with all that <laughs> talk at the end, or we won't be getting any more of those. Yeah, maybe we, maybe we should, we should let it out. Yes, we had a nice call out <laughs> about, um, which is fun. Um, and uh, oh, I, had a, I had a really good joke. I can't remember what it was though. I think it was making oh, fun ben. of you. I think it was something that's like, yeah, it t- <laughs> turned out. No, you, you, I think you carried us. It, I mean, you were, oh. you're smarter than I remembered. I think was something. Oh, like wow. <laughs> It's been a long summer, if that's the case. Uh, um, uh, I'm going to have to edit that out. People, yeah, people, can't, that's fine. people can't handle the brutal honesty. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's good to be back. It, it's really good to be back. It is good. And, and James, I missed you as well. Oh, thank you, Ben. Enjoy Burning Man. And uh, we'll look forward to, to hearing how it went. Yeah, sounds good. I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks' time. Though for our listeners, it will just be one week. It will. It will. All right, I'll talk to you soon. See you, mate. Right, bye. Bye-bye. This episode of Exponent was sponsored by Zendesk, which makes software for better customer service. Their platform is used by more than 60,000 organizations in 150 countries to bring them closer to their customers. Customer relationships are built on trust and communication. That requires making customer service a core part of the product experience, not an afterthought. Make your customer service a part of your core experience by building it directly into your apps, websites, and products with Zendesk Embeddables. Find out more by visiting Zendesk.com embeddables.